0: No, of course I didn't make that up. Are you crazy? It's, it's, it's from Hamilton. It's, it's one of the most important lines in the whole musical. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? And this week on Off-Road, I have a story for you. A story of one of the most important men in Buffalo theater history. Now, he'll deny that. I know he will, because he's, he did, right to my face, but... We all know the truth. Dr. Saul Elkin will be here today to tell his story, to make sure that it's told properly. And he is my sole guest on Off-Road this week because, well, frankly, it's a long interview and there was a lot for both of us to say. And I wanted to make sure that I gave him the respect and the time that he is due However... I think I've teased you long enough. I'm going to make my announcement about what the summer project will be, But first, we're going to listen to a lot of this music because it's our special summer-themed music. I've been teasing you for weeks now, hinting that there is another special project this summer and in two weeks it will begin following on the heels of last summer's very important recounting of the important dates and events in a history of buffalo theater i wanted to take a slightly different path this year and give some love to places on the outskirts of the buffalo metropolitan area i will call these locations historic theater showplaces Doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, but uh, I'm not really sure how else to describe (laughs) these important and beautiful buildings and uh, locations. After last year's emphasis on the city, I wanted to give some love to those on the outskirts, which are no less historic, no less significant, no less magnificent. Some of you may have recognized that the music written for this summer has a relatively prominent organ track in the beginning. and the first show place that I will visit is the home of the most famous keyboard instrument in any theater, the mighty Wurlitzer. That's right, in two weeks, we begin our summer project by talking to Neil Lang, whose family has a long history with the beautifully restored and continually active Riviera Theater in beautiful downtown North Tonawanda. I won't get into the whole plan here because I've already taken up too much time, And the process will become clear to you when you hear the interview and the audio tour of the facility. I will say that there are also pictures you'll be able to access from my Pinterest page and again, more on that in two weeks. And now on to our feature interview for this week's Off-Road episode. A man to whom I owe a lot. A man who gave me a leading role out of nowhere. And he had no idea who I was or what the hell I was doing in Harriman Hall auditioning for Shakespeare for the first time in my life. And since then, we have become close friends and he has honored me with many other roles, both acting and directing, and I can't thank him enough. Ladies and gentlemen, here to tell his story is Dr. Saul Elkin, here on Off-Road. Everybody knows you. You're one of the most familiar faces, Voices, personalities in Western New York. It, you're shaking your head, but it, it, <laughs> like it or not, I don't people, know, people seem possi- to... Possibly that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say infamous. Uh, <laughs> let's say notorious. Yes, uh, notorious. That's notorious. A, don't go near that guy. <laughs> but, but nobody knows, I don't think anybody really knows the whole story of where you came from. Because all of a sudden you appeared here in 1969, was it? 1969. Yeah. And you were born... In Williamsburg, in, in Brooklyn? In Brooklyn. Okay, so let's talk about Williamsburg and and your okay. childhood and everything. What can you remember and tell us about your family, about the things? Well, you- I, I remember
1: very little, but I, I do remember my parents. <laughs> <laughs> and they were both immigrants. My mother from Romania, my father from Russia. Mm-hmm. They met on the Lower East Side through some fraternal organization that I think my mother belonged to. So they met here, not met here, not, not in, not no, in the they, old country, as they say. They met here, and actually they met on the Lower East Side and were married on the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. I have a beautiful wedding photo of oh. them. And um, then I came along, and because they were struggling with English, both of them, Yiddish was the uh, the common language. So I grew up hearing. And speaking
0: Yiddish more than English. Did, did you... Well, where did you hear the English then? If they were if they were speaking well, Yiddish, I, where did you uh, pick up English? I, were there other relatives around or... No, there weren't any
1: relatives around. Well, I, th- there were relatives, but we were in Williamsburg and the relatives were in the Bronx a million miles away mm-hmm. and I didn't know them. I'm not sure whether the, the, the English was very accented. I, re, I have a... Uh, well, you I were in a, Brooklyn. What do you expect? Yeah, I had a... <laughs> I, and, Actually, I was learning Yiddish with a Brooklyn accent. <laughs> and occasionally <laughs> yeah. when I do a role nowadays called I for a Yiddish, Yiddish <laughs> accent, I do it with a sort of Brooklyn
0: twang. <laughs> but they were learning English, but they were struggling, the two I of see. them. But they, they didn't know each other in the old country. They just happened to, to emigrate here for any particular reason? My from father came
1: here because his brother was here. Okay. His older brother was here, and they were very close. I see. Uh, and he was not happy in Russia, I guess, and so he came and uh lived with his brother for a while. My mother as it's sort of an interesting story my mother's I'm trying to get this straight my mother's mother passed away, mm-hmm. and um the woman that her father remarried and and my mother did not get along and she had an uncle who was the brother of the mother she loved, the mother who had passed away mm-hmm. who was in New York. Ah. And uh, she wrote to him and said, can you help me to come to America? And he said he would. She was 19 years old. Oh. (laughs) I don't know how she did this. I don't, yeah. What's even more interesting about this story is he sent her the money and she got on on a ship and she came here. The day after she arrived, she was determined to pay him back. And he said, you don't have to worry about that. He said, no, no, I have to pay you back. She was a seamstress. She said, where can I go? I want to, I want to work as a seamstress. Make a few bucks to pay make you a few back. Bucks. He yeah. said, uh, well, there's you know there's an area in Manhattan called the Garmin District. I can I can bring you there. She said, no, no, I'll go. No English. Somehow she got on a subway. He was living in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And she got to the Garmin District. And as it happened, it was about noon. And a number of women were out on the street talking and Smoking and speaking Yiddish Speaking Yiddish, yes So she introduced herself to them And she said, I, I can sew, anybody I can sew, yes is, is there is there a possibility for work here? Mm-hmm. And one of them, a woman named Sarah Rosenberg Said, yeah, come with me, come upstairs I'll introduce you to the boss And within days she was hired there Wow, uh, and she worked there for thirty-five years, maybe longer,
0: and paid back her debt. I'll and bet. paid her debt, <laughs> paid her uncle back. She
1: established herself very quickly uh, in this country. And what did your dad do? Your your father? What was he? He was living with his brother. But what was it what was his uh, business? His his. Uh... Well, you know, it's sort of interesting. I really don't know, Pete.
0: Yeah. I
1: I have a copy of the uh, the ship's log, uh, mm-hmm. the one he came over on, and he's and he's listed as
0: an. As a farmer, but he wasn't a farmer. I'm not sure where that came from. Yeah, my my same thing with my grandparents. It says on their uh, fruit vendor or something like that. Yeah, uh, because you know when they're coming from Europe. I don't know what he told them or what they heard. Or yeah,
1: I mean he he had virtually no English. I'm sure mm-hmm. he arrived at Ellis Island. He had
0: to say something. Something right. Uh, well, they probably had people there who spoke some, Russian, you know, y- yeah. Russian and oh, well, he was Russian Yiddish. Is that? Uh, A different sort of dialect? No, I'm not sure. I I think not. And interestingly, I'm
1: not sure how this happened, but very quickly he was working as a carpenter. Hmm. And all the years of my growing up, I knew him as a carpenter.
0: Really? Yeah. In in big big construction, like houses? Uh, Or are we talking about furniture? Yeah. So fine carpentry work. Yes, absolutely. And I remember going to the shop where he worked
1: when I was a kid. Yes. And I thought... How can you breathe here? The sawdust and, <laughs> and the the turpentine and the whatever oh, else. Yes. And of course, he died of lung cancer. Oh. In his early fifties, and he was a very heavy smoker. I must have been I don't know eleven or twelve, when uh, I visited his shop, and I couldn't believe how, how the men there, were, how he was
0: surviving in all of that atmosphere Then they didn't have the protective no, stuff that we, no, you know, the masks not. and the and the ventilation to suck out the sawdust and those. And
1: then th- interestingly, um, when the when the Second World War broke out, Pearl Harbor was forty-one. I was nine years old. My father was eligible for the draft, mm. and somehow he managed to get a job at the Brooklyn Navy Yard that kept him out of the out of the army. I see. And because he was a carpenter. He was very quickly moved
0: into building furniture for the ships and for things? the ships, like yeah. c- cabinets and, and all sorts of furnishings for Ab- desks and chairs absolutely.
1: and things. So he was right back doing what he had been doing. Wow. The sadness for me is
0: I have not no example of his work. That is sad. Not even a picture in the background you see um, like a like I, I a, don't think a dresser so. or a bureau or something no, or not chair nothing. That is that is kind of yeah. It is, it is sad, and,
1: uh, and he was very proud of his work too. Did he have his own shop, or, or was he, no, he working out for, of? He worked for uh, a big a warehouse a company. A company, yeah. That produced uh, with his
0: brother? Was his, was his
1: brother also? No, it, it, his his brother owned a small laundry in Manhattan. I see.
0: Now, did you have younger siblings? No, no. So you no, only child. an
1: only child, spoiled rotten. Yes, only spoiled rotten. rotten. <laughs> uh, and it's and it's sort of interesting. Um, Born in Williamsburg, and but but when I was three or four years three or four years old, my parents moved to the Bronx where my father's older brother lived. Oh. and actually moved into the same apartment building that my uncle, my father's older brother, lived. In. okay so I was in a, I was in a building where I mean I had no siblings, but my uncle had three children. And they were growing up at the time that I was there. So they were very much like my your cousins. Yeah, they my, were your my cousins, cousins. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. all gone.
0: How was life different in the Bronx than what you had in, in uh, Williamsburg, in Brooklyn? Well,
1: the problem in in Brooklyn is that I remember very little about that. I remember my parents. Mm-hmm. I remember our little apartment in Brooklyn. I remember some of the people my parents knew. But I had no connection with these relatives who lived a million miles away in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And when we moved to the Bronx, we moved to the, the, the very apartment building that my, my uncle, my father's brother lived in. And, and your cousins. And my cousins. Yeah. And they. I became very close to them. I was close to them throughout their lives. All three of them are gone now. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. But their progeny is around, and I've gotten to know them. Oh, that's nice, that there's yeah. still, still some yeah. connection there. And it's nice for your girls as well. Yeah, you know, no, I, absolutely. And, and they have gotten to know some of these people as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So what, what did little Saul do around uh, the neighborhood? I mean, what, what were your interests as a, as a young boy? You were a baseball player, right? I, well, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, had athlete written all over you. I that's- was, I was a,
1: a reader from a very young age, uh-huh. and I was a memorizer. Ah, <laughs> uh, and I think my dad pushed me into this. There were he subscribed to a weekly uh, Yiddish newspaper in which there was in which there were poems,
0: and for some reason, he prodded me into memorizing those poems. How interesting did now, did he have a, a, any interest in theater or no. or performance or anything no. like that? No he just thought it was a good idea. He for just his thought it was a good, good idea. To- and, and, and interestingly, he was
1: prodding me into learning poetry in Yiddish and not in English. <laughs> <laughs> which wasn't very helpful to me because I was, by the time I started the first grade in the Bronx, we had now moved, yes.
0: I was still speaking with an accent. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which was not comfortable for me. Yeah, yeah. And did he trot you out in front of the, the uncles? and the, it, Come on, little Solly's going to come and do a, do exactly. a poem for you.
1: Exactly. Those poems that I memorized, I would, the fraternal organization through which my parents met would meet occasionally and I would be dragged along... <laughs> As a child, <laughs> and I would
0: recite. I can just hear that. Yep, yep. My mother used to t- trot me out and say, "Sing uh, what uh, what will be, will be." You know. <laughs> when I was just a little boy. So I guess I guess
1: you know the impulse to perform was sort of there. I mean, it wasn't. I didn't get it from my parents. Yeah. From neither of them. You had never gone to see live theater? No. I had no other connection with theater except for the fact that my parents did go to the Yiddish Theater on Second Avenue, Mm. and I went as well. And I have very vivid memories of going to the theater and the plays that I saw. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a teenager or younger? No, as younger. Younger. And actually, by the time I was older, by the time I had gotten to, we had moved to the Bronx from Brooklyn, by the time I was three or four years old, my parents Still had friends back in Brooklyn. So occasionally we would go back as a family to, mm-hmm. you know, to visit on a, on a weekend. And we would go to the theater. My, hmm. my father and mother loved the Yiddish theater. My mother had a beautiful singing voice. And, you know, the plays were full of music and song. Okay. And so we went. And interestingly, when I was seven or eight years old, I started going to a summer camp, hmm. a very Jewish summer camp. A very left-wing Jewish summer <laughs> And I came under the wing of... It's sort of interesting how names pop up. I came under the wing of a woman named Sarah Davidovich, who had been an actress with the Moscow Art Theater and was now teaching mm-hmm. in New York. And I was acting in little plays. This was at the,
0: at the Jewish... The, the little Jewish theater for... Was it a children's theater? It was, it was a children's theater, yeah. yeah
1: and it continued for it continued for quite a while it continued while i began public school i would go to public school by day and uh, this little yiddish school in the late afternoon every afternoon every afternoon and sarah was the drama teacher at this school and uh, i became an actor wow
0: did she recognize that you had some, You know, obviously, some I skills? She must have. Yeah. I,
1: I, I, you know, because you're, you're, at a, you're at a summer camp and there are all kinds of activities and I found myself involved in, mm-hmm. you know, theater activities, not, you know, not the baseball team and not the things you normally do in, in summer camp. And, and, h- and did how it. did you feel about it? Did you did you get that you know that that thing in your blood that I just did. Says, I liked it. You did. Yeah, I liked it. I liked <laughs> I liked doing it. Uh, it came easy to me. Yes. And I liked the response. It was fun. And, and was it all? And it all began interesting with with my dad prodding me into into memorizing. Isn't that interesting? And I became. Gra- I'm not very good at memorizing today. <laughs> God help me. No. Although no. when I think about the roles I've memorized, over oh, the years. I know it. I know it. But I was very good at it then, and I was for a long time, yeah, very good at it. And some of the uh, some of the refrains from some of that poetry are still in my head all these
0: years. Isn't that And I wonder why your dad you know sort of pushed you in that direction. Uh, many people believe I, I had a nun. Who made us memorize the quality of mercy oh, speech? Really? The quality of mercy is not strained. It drops a gentle rain from heaven. Wow. You know, I can still remember the, like the first eight ten lines of it, but there was something about a belief at that time that memorization helped develop your mind. I think. I, I think it might have been that. Mm-hmm. I think. It wasn't just that it was entertainment value to trot you out at parties. No, it wasn't He really it, it thought it he was doing that. something. It was, it, was, it, was a, it
1: was a very sort of familial thing. It, mm-hmm. it happened in the apartment. Eventually, it, it, it emerged. It moved into other venues. Yes. But I have a very, very sharp memory of my father saying, my name is Saul. My parents never called me Saul. Both of them called me Solly. Solly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I can still hear my father, you know, Picking up the paper and saying, "Solly, here's a good one," <laughs> and what he meant was uh, another poem. Another
0: good one to, for you to memorize. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. So now you're in this you're in this young young people's young theater group. I am. A- yeah. And and does that also follow into like your school activities? It, did you start it, it doing did. plays and it things? It did. I, I, not until high school, however. And and, until, and by the way, all the plays that you were in were they in all Yiddish? In Yiddish. All Yiddish. Okay. Yeah. But then in high school, finally.
1: Well, this is sort of interesting.
0: Sarah had been in the, you know, in the
1: Moscow Art Theater, and there were people in New York who knew her. And one thing led to another, and Maurice Schwartz, who ran the Yiddish Art Theater, which was a huge Broadway-sized theater Mm -hmm. on 2nd Avenue, was looking for a boy for a play. And he said to Sarah, do you have somebody? And uh, she said, oh, I have the kid you need. <laughs> so I auditioned for Maury Schwartz, and I was cast in a play called The Treasure Hunters. The Treasure Hunters, based on a story by Sholem Aleichem, who wrote *Fiddler on the Roof, who wrote the stories that *Fiddler on the Roof is based on. Um, and The Treasure Hunters, it was felt that a treasure somehow had been buried in Russia, mm-hmm. somewhere along the and the story that Sholem Aleichem wrote has a little boy finds a gold coin in the Jewish cemetery, and immediately the issue is, do we dig up the cemetery? Right, is that part of a larger treasure? Yeah, and the local rabbi says absolutely not. We can't dig up the cemeteries, and the rest of the town is saying we have to. We are we are poor peasants. If there's if that's one gold coin, and so in the town suddenly become treasure hunters, but the rabbi. Persuades them not to not to and, de- defoul and, the the cemetery yeah and the uh, desecrate and the play ends with a, a celebration paid
0: for with the one gold coin oh. that the little boy finds with, so, And everybody else in the, it was all it was an adult play you were the one child I was the one child
1: oh. yeah. yeah and, <laughs> and uh my you know either my father or mother would uh we were living in the Bronx at this point mm-hmm it would uh, We would go down, downtown and to rehearsals on 2nd Avenue in the subway. They would wait for me. On weekends, they would drop me off and I would be there rehearsing. And I was surrounded by wonderfully talented people. I bet. Maury Schwartz's company was extraordinary. Interestingly, when I started the Jewish Repertory Theater here, my cohort, David Bunis, with whom I began, found a poster from not... Not the treasure hunters, but that season. <laughs> and many pictures of the actors and actresses that I knew were on that.
0: How night. interesting. Yeah. And your parents were so supportive. They helped you get back and forth through your Absolutely. Isn't that God, wonderful. God only knows why. <laughs> well, it, you know, it is interesting because, you know, they obviously supported that. They could just as easily have said, this is a waste of time. Go learn bookkeeping. But here, learn, and here's, learn here's the, 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 the interesting the, or,
1: the interesting." end of the story is by the time I was in high school and moving into my final years and beginning to think about college Mm -hmm. and a career my father decided that I was to be a dentist
0: (laughs) I don't know where that came from either I don't think there was a dentist in his family my mother wanted me to be a dentist, too, and I'll tell you why. She said, because a dentist doesn't have night calls, doesn't have people coming to his... The it, dentist it, sets. That, he closes the door at 5 it. o'clock, is it, <laughs> and people come to you. That was my mother's and theory. We, and
1: we were... My family was going to a dentist who was very well off.
0: I, mm-hmm. had, well,
1: there you go. Had tremendous practice. You could be like him. Exactly. So <laughs> in my senior year in high school, I applied both to um, Columbia and to NYU as a pre-dental student. Really? And I was accepted in both places, and I went to Columbia, and I started out in my freshman year as a pre-dental student. Were you, were you good in math and sciences in high no. school? No. no. I wasn't. <laughs> I me know. neither. That's it, was, it was, it was a, a horror for me. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly, I don't know how many weeks into my freshman year at Columbia, I saw an audition sign. Uh, for for the, the school? For the Columbia players, mm-hmm. <laughs> who were doing Much Ado About Nothing, of all things. Of all things. And I auditioned, and my English was not very good, but
0: I got cast in a small role. Mm-hmm. And one thing led to another. I so very, you were still you you're were were still, uh, you're y- you were still Yiddish dominant. Absolutely. And you still had an accent? Um, With your English, I mean? Yes. Well, although I must
1: say that when I was cast in this production of Much Ado About Nothing... I was a freshman. Everybody else were, you know, more senior to me. Yes. And I listened to them.
0: Isn't that and interesting?
1: And my English changed. Boy. And the And the accent sort of disappeared. Isn't that interesting? And it was. It was also, you know, Columbia was, you know, an Ivy League school. It was. Yes. A, uh,
0: I was. Very, in the heart of Manhattan. Oh
1: yeah, very out of place. <laughs> uh, I mean, the son of immigrants who spoke with a slight accent i couldn't i couldn't have been more out of place out of place but i was surrounded by people who were not who had come from uh, prep schools mm-hmm. uh, and made their way to an ivy league school were you well accepted i was well accepted That's yes nice. and interestingly i had been i was accepted at both nyu and and columbia uh, and uh, i was accepted at nyu and was all set to go there when i got a call from an admissions officer at Columbia saying that uh, if I was still interested, they were interested in me. Wow. And would I come down and, and, and for an interview with uh,
0: somebody on the faculty there? But still as a dental, a pre-dent student. As a student, pre- yeah. How interesting. Well, then your your math and science must have been... Well, it was not...
1: I mean, I, I was okay. It was not great. Yeah. Actually, you know, my math through high school was terrific it's when I got to Columbia as a freshman and as a pre-dental student I had to take chemistry and uh, and calculus yes those were killers for me
0: <laughs> me too oh I, get, I just I couldn't I that. couldn't
1: do it and somehow you know the, the theater bug had been, had planted, been planted with in me in long your, since
0: yes well now that was the first one uh, much ado did you continue throughout your next couple of years, and then suddenly, how did you end up being, a the, or didn't you end up being a theater major? You must have come out with the well, theater I would, degree. Well, because you not?
1: there was no, there was no theater major at Columbia at that oh. point, so I became an English major. An English major, okay. Uh, and I continued to perform with the Columbia players, which were, it was not part of a department, but very well funded by by the university. Interesting. So we did uh, three or four very full productions every year. Mm-hmm. In uh, There were two or three theaters on the Columbia campus. We were in all of them. And by the time I got to my senior year, I don't know how many plays I had done with the Columbia players. And I was approached by the assistant dean of... There was a graduate theater program at Columbia. I was approached by... I guess he was the assistant to the dean of the of the drama school mm-hmm. and asked if I was interested in becoming an MFA student. Student, right, candidate. And I, yeah. I had no inkling what that was. Right. But I said, okay, is
0: it more theater? I'll do it. <laughs> you caught his eye, obviously, and he said, you know, you can take this further. Yeah. And we've got the Master of Fine Arts and, of course, <laughs> as most of us would have said, well, what yeah, does that and do? It, and, it, and it's
1: interesting now that the Columbia now has a very... Good MFA program, but it's different than the one that I, I was a part of. Mm-hmm. The people with whom I studied were long gone by the time Columbia decided to reinvest uh, in graduate theater. I see. So we were a very tiny department, but again, I you know the
0: uh, I acted in one play after another. Wow. And when you say very tiny department, are you ta- are we talking about a dozen, or are we talking about less than fifty? Less than fifty. Less than fifty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what did, the, what did the assistant dean or the person who was talking to you about this originally, and he said, would you be interested, what did he say to you that made you think, was it just, can I do more theater? Or did he did he dangle something out in front like you could well, be a teacher, you had, could be a professor? he had come to see me uh, in a play that I had done
1: as an undergraduate mm-hmm. or perhaps more than one. And uh, he called and asked if I would stop by. It was on campus, so I... I stopped by and chatted, and I had seen one or two plays in the graduate, I see. school, and I knew some of the students, but I didn't know, I didn't know any of the faculty. He said that they didn't do a lot of recruiting, but they were willing to offer me a position in the. He you knew I was a senior and thinking about the future, so they offered me a slot in the. Uh,
0: was it was the there scholarship advice. money involved? I mean, there was, was there was there was scholarship money involved. Okay. Yeah. okay. And how did things change from the undergraduate to the graduate was it just more intense was it just more of the coursework that was, it, know, was it was of it was more intense it was and because the, the then dean of the
1: graduate drama program at Columbia a man named Milton Smith had been a Broadway stage manager mm. and had connections with the Broadway theater uh, it became very Prestigious? Well, it became prestigious, but it also became very focused on working for that sort of career. I see. And interestingly, uh, because of Mr. Smith's connection with Broadway, I was acting in plays in the graduate school that occasionally had a well-known actor who was not doing something else, mm-hmm. doing a role. A he, guest, would, he would bring people sort in. Sort of a guest uh, Yes, guest acting. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I have a very vivid memory of acting in a play. With Melvin Douglas.
0: Oh man! <laughs> wow. I mean, it just—I was just—I was going to ask you what—are there any names? We, let's drop some names well, here. Well,
1: yeah. Uh, well, Tony That's, Perkins was a classmate of mine. Is that right? And and, and actually, I—we were in acting class together. We were in a directing class together. I directed him in several plays. He was an an impossible actor. <laughs> what does that mean? D- <laughs> well, difficult. I mean, he was—he just was not an actor. But he was the son of a, a very well-known Broadway actor named Osgood, Osgood Perkins. Oh. And uh, so his—you his, know—his life had his life's path had been predetermined. Predetermined. Mm-hmm. We got along very well, and in the middle of our first year—wow! All of this stuff is coming back to me. <laughs> there was a play yes. called Tea and Sympathy on Broadway. That Ilya Kazan had directed. Directed. And uh, there was a boy's role in it. And uh, Kazan had known Tony Perkins' father. Mm. And uh, he auditioned Tony and hired him to do this role on Broadway. And we all went downtown, all Tony's pals, to see him make his Broadway debut. How tremendously exciting. uh, Hugely exciting. And we remained friends for a long time until his life... Took him in other directions, other directions. Took him to Hollywood. Oh, to,
0: to Hollywood, yeah. sure. Had you, had you visited other Broadway theaters and shows... Throughout your college, your, gra- your I, I did. probably graduate. Yeah, career, I
1: did. I then. did what I did what lots of young theater students did in those days. I would gather in the intermission crowd on the sidewalk and go in and see the second act. <laughs> Find an empty seat. Right. Oh, perfect. And I saw lots of second acts. Yes. Okay. But I saw lots lots of other things too. And I, you know, I once I had gotten into graduate school, I think I I, I knew then that this was going to be my life mm-hmm. at some level. Yeah. I mean, I'd hoped it would be on Broadway, but I knew it would be my life at some level.
0: Well, let's talk about how you got into some of your Broadway or off-Broadway productions. How Were they connections th- made through the, the professors and so on at Columbia? Yeah, it was, pretty much.
1: Um, Eddie Foy Jr. was also one of my classmates. <laughs> <laughs> he and I acted in two or three plays oh, together. Oh, very cool. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, on one occasion... A French company had come to New York to do a French version of Hamlet. Mm -hmm. Jean-Louis Barreau, who was a hugely famous actor, uh, came with the production in which he he played Hamlet, and he came to visit our department, talk to us. Mm -hmm. Strictly Um, as a guest lecturer, not a performer. No, no. Just somebody who just just came to talk. Mm -hmm. He he came to talk, in the course of which, at one point he said, "Uh, by the way, does anybody speak French? My hand went right up. <laughs> I spoke very little French. I had taken a French course. <laughs> a couple of us, two or three people, uh, raised their hands. He said, "Oh, you, you stay. We stay." So oh. everybody went away. He handed me a script of Hamlet, the first scene in French. Oh dear! And said, "Can you read this?" And I, and I read it. He said, "Good, good, good." A few days later, somebody from his company called and said, uh, "We we want to offer you." Uh, a small role as one of the soldiers
0: at the beginning of the play. Oh, Bernardo. Or Bernardo, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so it's funny because like, like every actor that you did, no matter what they say to you, can you ride a horse? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Can you absolutely. speak French? Absolutely. Absolutely. Beautifully.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and so I wound up on Broadway. Wow. In a, in a French production of Hamlet, playing Bernardo as a matter of fact. And others, I imagine, throughout the, you know, your... I popped up as a soldier later on. Mm-hmm. I was one of Fortinbras' Army coming in <laughs> no, of at the Of course, end. yes. <laughs> but it was an extraordinary experience for me. And I was still going to school. Did you get equity? I got equity. It, 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 from, from that play? Well, actually, you know, I didn't. But many, many years later, I was doing a show at the Studio Arena here in town. Yes. And one of the actors happened to be a former president of equity. And we were chatting, and I was telling him the same sort of story I'm telling you. Yes. And he said to me, uh, are you getting uh, an equity pension? I said, no, I don't think so. I said, well, did you do a number of equity shows? I said, oh, I did several. Sure. He said, well, write them a letter and say that you are who you are and try to remember the the roles that you play. Give them a rundown of everything you've done. And I've been getting an equity pension now for I don't know how many years. It's not a lot. No, but, but but I get a monthly check. <laughs> that,
0: that's lovely. That's lovely. Yeah, it, it really is. It's one of those things where, as you said before, you you didn't know what you were getting into with the MFA. You didn't know what you were. You didn't know anything about equity. And Abs- all absolutely sudden, not. And you I, I didn't. I I,
1: knew, I had no inkling that you know that acting in this uh, in this French production of Hamlet made me eligible down the road for an equity pension.
0: Can you remember? I know there's there were probably several productions. Because I I looked them up. There was there were 250 or something Broadway or Off Broadway. Anything that sticks out as memorable, you always remember your first one. I know that. Yeah. But anything after that that you that you say oh I'll, I'll never forget working with, you know. I did lots Off Broadway as a matter of fact.
1: Mm-hmm. The most memorable for me, because I got to know the playwright, was an evening of three one acts by William Soroyan.
0: Oh okay.
1: I was cast in one of the three. And by the time in rehearsal we opened, I was in all three, <laughs> and uh, Saroyan was very present at uh, the rehearsals, and we became very friendly. He was a very heavy drinker, and I remember going out, got to go have a drink afterwards. With him, of course, and, and I think that was most memorable to me. It was off Broadway. It was at the Theatre de Luce. It ran for quite a long time you remember any really good reviews or any really bad reviews? Actually, (laughs) this is really interesting. (laughs) One of the three plays was called The Hungerers, and I remember the role I played. I came into a room, and there were some people lying there, and I said, is anybody alive here? And Brooks Atkinson, who reviewed the play, picked up on that line. Nobody was alive, he said, (laughs) in that production. (laughs) And I had clipped out that. New York Times review oh that's carried funny. it in my wallet for years <laughs> afterwards. although he liked me in one of the other th- one of the, one of the other plays that I was in right <laughs> anybody alive here no no, no. no. <laughs> I knew it was at a come on for you could just see his eyes oh yeah oh, nobody yeah. was alive shotted <laughs> that one down right away right away but two, two years into the my graduate program I was drafted into the army it was the Korean War oh. And uh, I didn't go to Korea, uh, but I was, uh, I was in the infantry of all things. And as a matter of fact, I was on my way to Korea. I was in Seattle waiting to get on a boat to go to Korea when the war ended. <sighs> you know, talk about Fortuitous. getting down on one's knees. Yes, yes, yes. And thanking the Almighty for that because I knew I would never survive the Korean War, Never. I was un, as unathletic as I could possibly be. Mm-hmm. So I got out of the Army shortly after that and uh, came back to Columbia and finished the degree.
0: I see. The MFA degree, after which did you just go, because I know you then went to Carnegie Mellon eventually, but right. was there an interim in between there where you oh, yeah, continued there was a to perform? I, I,
1: I, where I performed and eventually I did a couple of seasons of summer stock in Vermont where I met the young woman I married mm-hmm. then, my my first wife. Yes and became very friendly with a Vermont state senator who said, I can help you get a position at one of the state colleges in Vermont. Hmm. I said, okay, I'll try teaching. Oh. And with his help, Senator Brown, I still remember the name. I'm not sure what, I made a trip to Montpelier, which was the capital, to take an exam because this was a, a state job. Mm-hmm. He said, "I'll get you the. I'll help you get the position, but you have to pass that exam." Okay, of course. It's a, a civil service exam. Was it at the University of, of Vermont? Uh, no, it was at the, Vermont. Had three state colleges. State college. Interestingly, one of them, the one where I taught, was called Castleton State College. Is now called Castleton University. So apparently, it has grown. Mm-hmm. But there was only there was the University of Vermont, and there were three state colleges, and I taught at one of them.
0: And what was your first? Class load, like I mean, what what were you, what subjects were you doing? History speech, 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 English, speech and English, speech, speech and composition. In
1: wow, there was no theater program, uh, but it was a teach. It was a position, and I was I was about to be married, and I needed the job, and I very quickly organized a uh, a sort of a theater club, and we began to do plays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the time I left Vermont to come to Buffalo. I had established a theater department at this tiny little state college. Of course you did. (laughs) (laughs) And had hired other people, a set designer and an acting teacher. Interestingly, here I was teaching in Vermont, but I was also working on a Ph.D. at Carnegie Mellon. I took a year off as a sabbatical while I was Teaching in Vermont. I see. I went to Carnegie Mellon. I did all of the coursework in one year. Holy
0: cow. I was going to ask you, because it's not like they're nearby. No, no, we moved there.
1: Pennsylvania. Packed up and moved to Pittsburgh. Had a lovely year there. This is during your sabbatical? During my sabbatical. Mm -hmm. And the summer that preceded it, and the summer that followed, I managed to do all of the coursework. Holy mackerel. And so it was a matter of writing a dissertation.
0: Which I ultimately did, the help of Joe Papp, as a matter of fact. Interesting. That's that's where the Joe Papp connection first begins.
1: Well, yeah, it's an interesting story,
0: and maybe I've told it to you before. The one about Shakespeare. Yeah. That he was the one I remember very well, and I have it recorded about you. Well, that I auditioned for his Shakespeare in the Park. Uh- no, well, maybe, but didn't he come here and, and say who's doing Shakespeare in Buffalo? And you said nobody. He said we'll start exactly. one. Exactly. Well, then He's tell heavy. me the other story yeah. because I don't. Well, know the other the other
1: the other story is he was he was about to begin Shakespeare in the Park in, in New, New York, York City. York. Yes. And uh, I was just out of the army and I was back at school finishing my MFA, uh, living at home back back in Brooklyn and the Bronx. I mean, living in the Bronx. Yes. yes yeah, yes, with I'm my sorry. parents, but somehow I managed to get an audition for. Uh, with Joe Papp mm-hmm. for the first production in the park, which was Richard the Third, his first production, his first production. Oh,
0: right. And I
1: remember the auditions were at um, a little outdoor theater in Manhattan, not in not in the, not in Central Park, on the on the East River. I arrived and there were twenty or so people sitting, and we one by one we walked out onto the stage, and I had the temerity to do a, a speech from Richard the Third. You know, even though that's the play he was doing. And I don't know how often I have told people, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he stopped me on the way out. And I thought, oh, this is a good thing. And he said, tell me a little about yourself. So I did. It turns out that we were both Jewish. We had both had immigrant parents. Was he
0: significantly older than you? Or was um, he well, like yeah, a
1: young phenom? Yeah, no, no. He was young. When mm-hmm. he, was not, he was not an old man, yeah. no.
0: But, you he were did, in your but, he, but he
1: did say to me on that occasion, sitting there, with all these people waiting to audition, I think I can offer you a small, non-speaking role. <laughs> 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 wow. And I said, I can still hear myself saying this, I said, well, can I get back to you, Mr. Papp? <laughs> <laughs> he was taken aback. I bet he was. He said, all right, a couple days, no more than that. And in those couple days... Uh, one of the teachers at the graduate school had a summer theater in Vermont offered me all kinds of leading roles for that coming summer. Wow. And I never I never called Pat back. Never called. (laughs) He's I I, He's still Maybe I've told you this story but when I was at Carnegie Mellon Mm -hmm. the one year I was there I signed up for a course called Problems in Theater. Are there problems in theater? Yes there are. Everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Um, And and the head of the department, came into the first meeting and said uh, that the course would be taught by working producers in the theater, that every, every, every week we would meet somebody new. Mm. And the following week, Joe Papp showed up. Oh, boy. And I thought, he will never recognize me. <laughs> never. Aren't you the kid who didn't call me back? Well, he went around the room <clears throat> and asked us each to introduce ourselves, and I introduced
0: myself. And he said, wait a minute. <laughs> You were going to get back to me. Oh, no. You must have made a... I mean, obviously a negative impression because you didn't get back to him. But he was really interested in you. I guess. I guess he must have been. And we
1: chatted at the time and afterwards. And I didn't have an an advisor for my doctoral dissertation. And I very boldly asked Joe if he would be willing to do it. Wow. And he said, yeah, I'll do it, but I won't come to Pittsburgh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you you know if you if we make an arrangement where you send me the chapters that you're writing right, right. or you come occasionally i'll do it i said okay i'll do that and with his help i managed to write in a, in a year a dissertation what was the subject uh, subject uh, of the dissertation it was um it was something called total theater i had uh, which was uh, a notion that wagner had invented when he was doing his operas which was that you would bring all aspects of the arts to bear i see and so i wrote i wrote a dissertation in which i said it might be possible to to view the production of shakespeare plays through the eyes of the total theatre director and bring all of the arts to bear
0: sculpture and choreography yeah, music yes and whatever right, right. Um, it's good thing Joe pap didn't say I'll get back to you a couple of days <laughs> I'll, I'll get back to you No, he was
1: terrific was he, That's what I was going to ask he was, was, he, wonderful. was he very helpful? Uh, he was super I would write a chapter and send it to him He would scribble all over it and send it back to me I would write it. I would rewrite it And we'd talk on the phone And he would say, yeah, that's okay, go on, keep going <laughs> And I wound up doing a, a chapter on a version of Hamlet That he had written, that Pap had
0: written Oh, Very offbeat, one which I eventually did this, is this where your affinity for Shakespeare began? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because obviously the very first show was yeah, not only what only to do, not but
1: not only an affinity for an affinity for Shakespeare, but an affinity for fiddling with Shakespeare. Fiddling. <laughs> yeah. And I loved what Pap had done with Shakespeare. I loved what he did with the play, and I did I did that version of his play when I got back from my year at Carnegie Mellon, back to Vermont. First thing I did was I directed a production of Hamlet based on Joe Papp's script. Interesting. I tried to get him to come, but he wouldn't come. But it, it turned out very well. Well, he was based in the, in Manhattan. He I was mentioned. in Manhattan, yeah. 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 Sort of an interesting, an interesting story. It, at about the same time, in that year following, I got my doctorate degree. Mm-hmm. And I had been promised by the president of that college that I would be promoted and so on if I had a degree. And he called me... To tell me that he was sorry that he couldn't do it. And on the spot, I said I quit. Wow. <laughs> and at this point, I had a wife and two little babies. Oh my gosh. And I didn't know what the hell I'd, I'd done. I just, and I, I remember the, uh, somebody from the state capitol came to see me at my home a few nights later and said, we'll, We will arrange for, to double your salary if you'll stay. And I said, No, I was, I was done. I was done wrong. He promised me that I would be promoted and move forward, and there would be a theater program if I got this Ph.D. And I killed
0: myself and did it in two years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he did not. Did he give an excuse, a financial reason, or anything? That I, I think
1: you, he said there. You know, there, there was a procedure. He just couldn't do it. He couldn't with a wave of his hand. I see. And couldn't I, make it. And happen. I remember saying to him, "Yes, you can. You can do it." Yeah. I mean, we were I mean, really on really a first-name basis. Yeah. Uh, and he said, "No, I can't do that." So there I was, you know, uh, with no job and with a family. And uh, a friend who had been at Columbia with me was running a very small department at the University of Buffalo. And you said, "Where?" <laughs> and I called him and I said, "Can you make just can you make a suggestion?" And he said, "Let me call you back in a couple of days." And he did. And he said, "I can offer you a one-year position here." I said, "Okay, I'll take it." Yeah. So this little family and I, we packed our things up, and we moved to uh, Buffalo. Because you had
0: quit the other place. I had quit. And, and you had a friend who had a, yeah. a connection in Buffalo. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Was he, was he uh, a chairperson? or? or uh, he was the chairperson was. of a
1: very small department. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a very good first year here at the end of which he said, will you stay a second year? And I said, sure. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the second year, in spite of the difficult process that people normally went through to get tenure, I was offered tenure. After the second year? After yeah, a second year. Wow. I had no inkling what that was, really. really? Right. I had no inkling what impact that it would have on my professional career. Right. But
0: I said, okay. Tenure's a wonderful thing, but it's also, you're locked in. Oh, absolutely. Because you, as you said, you had a wife and two kids, and now you have some bit of stability and you have security. You're in Buffalo, and you were there
1: absolutely. And I and I and I realized all of that, and in spite of my dreams of a career on Broadway or elsewhere, I realized that what I had was a kind of security here. I had a wife, and I had two little boys, and now I would have a job for life mm. as long as I. You know, that's
0: what it meant. Did yeah. did it well, and so I took it. And did you have dreams of developing the UB department to a higher? Um, I mean, to to a more. Complete. You said it was a very small department. Were you already thinking because you were thinking that in Vermont he was going to do this, this, and this? And I, now I began very quickly to think that I would like, I would like the department to grow and how to make
1: that happen, mm-hmm. and and I pushed for it with every dean that came along yes. in the next two or three years, and little by little the department grew. Uh, and how
0: do you explain that? Just because you were such a good salesman? You know, I'm not sure, Pete. I was very
1: determined. I liked I came to like living in buffalo yes. and here I had this rarity for someone who wanted a life in the theater I had a job for life
0: yes if I wanted it uh, and you wanted to make it into something that wa- was I- worth I-, I-, I wanted something better yes yeah yeah, yeah. what was the most they were doing at that time when you say it's a small department, they were doing a couple of productions a year on a very small stage. Of course, about this it. is long before the, the Amherst campus even existed. Oh, the Amherst campus didn't exist. <clears throat> didn't even exist. So you were no. over there in what, Harriman was it? We were in Harriman on, yeah. on the Main Street campus, and
1: we were performing in uh, what had been an old library in Harriman that was transformed into a, theater, mm-hmm. into a theater space. At one point, the guy who hired me had stepped down his chair... And I thought, oh well, this is a job I'll get, but I didn't get it. <laughs> they hired somebody from from New York, uh, a guy named Gordon Rogoff, who had been at Yale and other places, and uh, had a resume of and some had, sort. had yeah. a had a resume. But Gordon and I hit it off very well, and we had we had the same sort of ambition.
0: Mm. That's what I was going to ask. Who who else had this vision of of what? Yeah, you I need? think
1: I, I think Gordon did. As a matter of fact. Gordon saw it for himself as a stepping stone to someplace else. I see. He didn't want to be in Buffalo very long. Right. Uh, he had written mm-hmm. a couple of books. He was relatively well known. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how long he was there two or three years, but he left. There was a search for a new chair. I was hired. You were hired. And uh, how many people in the department at that time? Just rough ballpark. Are we talking about five or six? Five or six. Yeah. There was a costume designer. There was a set designer. NK France. Anna K. France, yes. Was teaching literature. And there was another woman teaching literature. I was teaching all of the acting classes. The whole sequence. Wow.
0: And you probably didn't have a, probably weren't a lot of students going to UB. No. For no. no, no. I mean, nobody for no, law, no, there law for business. Yeah.
1: There weren't high school students around the country thinking of a thinking of UB as a place to That's, study theater. Yes. Right. But we, you know, it it grew. The department grew. Then one day I got a phone call from Joe Papp saying he had a play that he wanted to do and would I do it in Buffalo so that he could see it? He'd pay for it. Mm -hmm. Of course, he'd pay for it was the operative phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Done. Done. It was a play called Apple Pie. It was based on the career of... She was the only Jewish Miss America. Bess Meyerson? Bess Meyerson.
0: How did I know that?
1: (laughs) Apple Pie was vaguely based on Bess Meyerson's career. I liked the play. I jazzed it up with music and other things. Joe came to Buffalo. Where was it performed? We had a theater on the west side that had been a church that uh, I convinced the UB administration to uh, lease,
0: and we did it several seasons there. (laughs) This is the real story of your life. <laughs> you convincing people, we should get this, we should do that, we should add this. How about that old theater that used to be Studio Arena? How about that what? How you about know, that old it, church? How it, about that old library? It was like that.
1: Yeah. I think it was like that. It really was. <laughs> and actually Joe Papp came to Buffalo and saw uh, apple pie and liked it very much. Eventually he produced it in New York not with me directing somebody else. It was actually, all, all students here? Uh, all, all students, mm-hmm. yeah. But what he did do, he paid for the production. He also paid for the playwright, whose name was Myrna Lamb. She was a feminist playwright. And a composer named Nicholas Myers, because there was a musical score okay. that went with it. And he paid for, for them staying in Buffalo for a month to work with me. Wow. And we came up with something very nice. It was a really interesting production, I thought. And that, on that occasion, he said to me, who's doing Shakespeare Who's doing, in doing
0: Shakespeare in Buffalo? Because we covered this before, but I yeah. don't remember this question. Who chose the Rose Garden, that perfect spot there? I did. Had you heard about it? No, I just, I, I or just, or just I went, went, went for a, around a walk Delaware in Delaware Park? Park.
1: And I found first the Rose Garden, yes. then the hill. And I looked down the hill and I thought, oh my goodness. This
0: is it. <laughs> this is it, yeah. 47 years. And I do want to talk about the fact that you're, you're taking a couple steps back from this. Because yeah. I, I've been saying to you for about 20 years... How do you keep doing all of this? Because you were you were doing the JRT and you're doing Shakespeare and you're doing other roles at other theaters all the time. Yeah, all the time, the Buffalo theater community has really changed since 1969 when you got here. Was that roughly when? No, there was no community. But you took UB and you made it into something that was almost a feeder system. You had people coming out of there who went and went on and did other things. Uh, I,
1: I think what happened was that we developed a. We developed a program that began to appeal to talented young people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, one thing led to another. They came to Buffalo, they studied here, they liked what they saw here, decided to stay, mm-hmm. and theaters began to evolve. Right. Neil at, right. sure at the Alleyway, he was a student of mine. Of course he was. Tony Chase was a student of mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, these were all sorts of very bright, talented people who sort of moved out decided to stay, and
0: moved out and did their things. Created theaters. Yeah. When you left UB, when you finally retired from that, the department had grown triple its size, maybe? It had. It had grown triple in size. It had taken on a
1: dance major as well. Mm -hmm. Since I left, it's grown even more. They're now offering PhDs and Oh really? Yeah, There's a whole new cadre. Yes, yes. But it, it grew very quickly, you know. In in the years that I was, I chaired the department for almost twenty years, I think.
0: Yeah, and but it, it didn't just grow. I mean, you
1: were, you were pushing it. Oh, I was, I was, <laughs> I was prodding it a lot, and I and managed to develop good relationships with the powers that be. This was still back
0: in, on on Main Street on on the. It's
1: back on Main Street and. Uh,
0: in Harriman Hall, because I mean, now there's that gigantic center for the arts with what four theaters and a b- black box and, uh, and it, I mean, well,
1: I was very I was very much involved in planning that building. Mm-hmm. I had no inkling that I would not continue that it would it would move on without me, <laughs> but that was okay too. Sure. I mean, well, I, you found things to do. Yeah, I did find things to do. <laughs> Actually, I found the theater scene in Buffalo. To be very friendly it was possible to continue to work here to do
0: plays that i like to do roles that i like doing and uh, how did you make all the connections with other theaters you worked at studio arena you auditioned and and i i, I never you-
1: auditioned i was i was approached by whoever was running the theater but how
0: did that reputation get out there how did people know that here's a here's a great actor How'd that happen? Uh, I mean, you were a professor at U B. What, yeah, what does not, that mean?
1: I, 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 I'm not sure how that happened, except that the plays we were doing at U B were, were well attended.
0: I got to know people. I did, guess. What was the first play that you did that you, that you could, off the top of your head, that you did in Buffalo as a as an actor as a performer? Wow. Because I know you, I, mean, I know you worked with David Lamb. I know you worked with Lorna. I know you worked with you. Probably worked with Neil because he was doing the center, the Pfeiffer before it became the Pfeiffer. It was the center, center... theater research, right? Theater yeah, research. I was still I was still chairman of the theater department at yeah, that point. Yeah. Can you remember what the first? It must have been a, a studio arena show. I did. Oh,
1: I don't know. Maybe a dozen shows at the studio arena. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think who the first artistic director was. Neil Brock. Neil it was Neil DeBra, yeah. And it was The Christmas Carol. Ah. And I played uh, Ghost of Christmas Present. <laughs> and then I
0: did that several seasons. Yes, yes. But then word gets around. Yeah. you know, And, and by that time, there were other theaters blossoming. Uh, we mentioned it. It really ended. was incredible.
1: Yeah. I mean, what happened in Buffalo is extraordinary. I don't doubt that it happened and it's happened in the same way in other cities. I
0: I, I don't know how it could. I mean, we, we've all said that Buffalo has more theater than a population this size should be able to support. I know. And somehow does. And somehow does. Yeah. So let's let's talk about your stepping back from Shakespeare and Delaware Park, this thing that has become a Staple of Buffalo cultural and, and everybody looks forward to it. People who don't even go to any other theater bring their kids to Shakespeare. This has probably even you, probably you have to admit you never expected it to last this long oh, no, or, absolutely be, or become this this Absolute, much a you know, part I, of our. I mean, it's every every year the news covers it. Every year they you know they broadcast. I
1: to be honest, Pete, I, when I when I started it, I, I saw it as a, a one shot thing. <laughs> we'll just do this this summer And we'll see what happens uh, Really And and I saw it as I was chairman of a very Smallish department uh, I didn't have the money To produce a play mm-hmm. But I did have money To produce To pay for uh, Instruction Summer instruction And uh, I Asked Convinced A dean To let me use The money that I would Normally use for To hire instructors To hire actors
0: I see was part of the deal that you you would hire actors, and then there would be students and others who would sort of be learning, because they would be with the other actors. Absolutely, and as so a matter you, of fact, now no, it as no, an educational opportunity. Uh, Shakespeare in the Park became a summer
1: theater course. Mm-hmm. It was listed in the summer catalog as ah. Shakespeare in the Park One Hundred One, One Hundred Two, whatever. All of the students who participated earned academic credit. It was deserved because they were working opposite strong. Yes. experienced professional actors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to this day i think it's a first stop for our theater students in western new york <laughs> it uh, is i was not prepared for the response mm-hmm. i was not prepared for the thousands of people who showed up yes and continue to show up and then out of nowhere you know a jewish theater which had been my uh, long been my dream. dream sure and and here we are about to go into the 20th anniversary
0: of this Jewish... Event. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm directing the, ne- the next show at the Jewish... Event. Of course you are. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's The Chosen, yes? It is The Chosen. Yeah, yeah. 20th anniversary. Yeah. With, with the play that you started. With the play that you were in. That I was in <laughs> 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. All right, let's finish this up. I still want to hear uh, your decision to step back from Shakespeare... Tell us what made that decision happen, and you're still going to be involved to some degree. I know you can't not be involved. There's, there's going to be an I, I, I advisory be invi- board. I will be involved.
1: I hope to be involved. I mean, I, at what level, I'm not sure. I mean, the, the but you'll be able to pick and choose how
0: much you want to be
1: involved. The, the, the sad truth is that I'm 90 years old. Uh, yeah. And you reach that point in your life where uh, you get tired easily. You, exactly. <laughs> and I'm I'm not sure how much of anything I will be I'll be doing. Yes. Uh, I'm. You know. I'm not stepping away because at some level I will always be involved but I'm not sure for example I was to direct Midsummer Night's Dream and uh, I just felt as I thought about it that I don't have the energy for it.
0: Mm -hmm. Honest to God I'm surprised it took you this long to decide this because yeah. well, you and I both know, I'd look at your schedule sometimes and you'd be performing in something, acting in something, directing something and planning something. And I'm thinking, how do you I do just, this? I just
1: can't do that anymore. Yeah. Although I don't look 90.
0: I've, there are times when I oh God do I feel it, <laughs> and since and, no one can replace Saul Elkin, they're going to ha- have a, like an advisory board, and you will be a part of that.
1: Yes, there yeah. is an advisory to, to, to board.
0: whatever degree you want to be. I'm and, sure. And,
1: and actually, the not this season, but next uh, season hence uh, was decided by this advisory board, oh, okay. which I was a part of. Mm-hmm. But mostly it was the opinions of all of
0: the people on the board. One of which was my daughter Rebecca, who's on the,
1: mm-hmm. on
0: that board. But this and, is something you'll be able to say, I want to be involved this much, or I want to be involved this much. Exactly, you know. exactly. I think, I think I've think reached I've reached the point where I can
1: no longer be as actively involved as I have been for mm-hmm. so many years. Yeah. I just can't. Wow. It hurts me, but it is in some ways, when I pulled away from directing this summer, I'll be frank to say, it came as a relief. I was... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, was it just a relief? It was a relief. It was a relief. I love the festival. I love what it's been for 47 years. I love having been a part of it in every possible way. You know, there has not been a year, Pete, in 47 years, 47 seasons, that I've either not acted or directed mm-hmm. in, in one of the seasons. Mm-hmm. I, I feel, you know, that the time the time has come for me to step back, you know, Lisa and others here have been very nice about it. They're not pushing me out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure they're not. I'm just backing out.
0: You know what this reminds me of? Speaking of The Chosen, one of my favorite speeches from that, from that script is the worthy of rest speech. Do you know what I'm talking about? When I retired from teaching, I said this. I was asked to speak at the graduation. And I said, there's a point where you say, did I do enough to be worthy to take a little break? And it's something I don't remember the exact wording, wording of it. Oh, that's a wonderful thought. And I don't re- and I don't remember if it was Tom, who's playing a different role now, who said it, or if it was Ruben's speech. But it was the worthy of rest speech. Now, as I hear you say this to me, yeah,
1: I feel it has a bearing on my life. I I, I think it does. If anybody does, yeah.
0: If any do- you're worthy of taking a break. Yeah. If if I think nothing I else, have. that's.
1: I think I am. Well, and and you know and, and I worried about the impact this would have on my family, especially my daughters. So I asked each of them what they thought mm-hmm. about my pulling away and I said, "Oh god, at last." <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. I'll bet there have been whispers behind your back oh for the God, last I don't twenty know. years. I don't know. When is he going to let that? <laughs> when is he going to let go? When is he going to? When are we going to have be able to take, travel during the summer? When are we going to be able to take him on a visit to such and such? Yeah, yeah, and all of that, Pete, all of that. Yeah. I feel very comfortable
1: now about pulling back, and I will continue at the Jewish Rep. I'm not sure at what level. Uh, Adam Yellen is who is now. In that sort of managerial slot, he's doing a very good job. Yes, he is.
0: Well, Saul, thank you very much for doing this. Oh, I this. don't know
1: if I gave you what you
0: wanted. Well, I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, just wonderful years. talking to you. But thank you very much. This has been just wonderful. Yes, that's the connection. That is the connection. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? Saul Elkin. Told his story, and I know many of you are thinking, "Well, wait a minute, what the heck? You seem to stop awfully suddenly." And and what about his lovely wife Janine, with whom he just celebrated his 40th wedding anniversary? And what about his his daughters and his sons? You know, everybody knows Becca and Emily for sure, but you know, I have to tell you, I looked up at the clock. We had been talking for about 90 minutes. He was getting tired. I was getting tired. I knew I could tell that it was time to go, and I think I got what I wanted to get. Though I apologize to Janine and Becca and Emily and everybody else that we didn't get a chance to talk about, but I think what I got is what I wanted, and it was just a delight. I am so happy and so thankful that I had this chance to talk To my dear old friend. And yes, I didn't talk at all about, well, I didn't talk very much about his career at UB and all of the things he accomplished there at the Pfeiffer Theater and at the UB Harriman Hall and then over at the Center for the Arts in Amherst and of course JRT and Shakespeare in Delaware Park. All of those things were covered last year when I did the History of Buffalo Theater. So there was no need to make him go through all of that again. If you want to hear about it, go listen to the podcasts; They're all available and all the information you're seeking is already out there. Thank you very much, my dear friend Saul. I will see you soon. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks when we kick off the first week studying the Riviera Theater, its history, its restoration, its future. Be here then. On Off Road with me, Pete Pomisano.